Thanks. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, again, welcome to all of you who have joined us today. There is a connection card on the seat. If you have not filled that out, we'd appreciate it if you would to let us know that you're with us today. Uh, you're not going to receive a request for magazine subscriptions if you fill that out, or we're not going to sell your information to other third parties. We just use it internally to send you a note if you're a first-time guest with us, uh, how much we appreciated uh, you being here today. Uh, and to kind of keep track of our uh, church family. It's hard to believe it's nearly the middle of May already. And uh, we've come through the Easter season. We've had four weeks of our stewardship emphasis uh, when we've asked you to give to support the ministry of this church. And now for the next two Sundays, I'd like to talk a little bit about why we do what we do. Um, uh, what is it that focuses our ministry, and what do we invest our lives and our resources in? And uh, we'll get to that in just a few moments. Um, but, you know, this we're going to look at a text today from Acts chapter 17. And uh, we're going to focus our attention on this passage of Scripture and talk about the Apostle Paul and how he dealt with sharing his faith in a faithless world. His exhortation to the Greeks, and my exhortation to you today, is come to the source of all truth, to the author of life. God calls us away from our worship of things, from the idols that block our view of God, and to worship the Christ who said, I will not leave you alone in this world, I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit, your counselor, and I will guide you into all truth. So I invite you to open your lives today to the spirit of truth as we seek uh, new life in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, in whom we live and move and have our being, dwell with us here in this place today, transforming the landscape of our souls and granting us the nourishment we need. We are hungry for your truth and thirsty for real peace. Hear our prayer and our praise and turn us away from evil, and prepare us for life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy to have Bev Christensen joining us at the piano today. She is our main uh, pianist at the DeWitt campus, um, our own pianist today. Uh, Mary Grace Ellerby had a chance to be with her family down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana this weekend. So she has gone to visit for a few days. And Bev has graciously uh, um, offered to come and join us this morning. Um, we're going to remain seated as Bev plays us a special piece for today.
Last Sunday, I was driving home uh, from church, and I turned on the radio, and I listened to another church's worship service. Um, That's what preachers do. We're crazy people. We listen to other churches' worship services. Now, this particular church was once a prominent United Methodist Church in its community, uh, what they used to call one of the flagship churches in our conference. But its once large congregation has dwindled to well under well under 100 in worship on any given weekend, and its prominence in the community has faded. It's a church struggling for survival. But here's my point. The person delivering the message was a secular musician who was telling the story of his educational upbringing and his well-known group and and how that came into existence, and I did not hear anything even close to a religious thought or any substance that might be oriented around personal faith. It was a good story. It was a tale to entertain those in the audience, and my heart, though, was broken to think how far we have fallen from what the church was intended to be and to do. Many years ago, the Apostle Paul confronted a Christless culture in Athens, Greece. And yet his challenge on that day was identical to the challenge that we face in our own culture. How do we remain faithful in faithless times? How can we connect with culture without being trapped or ruined by the culture? Some leaders in the church feel the solution is simple, just engage the culture. It's a popular buzzword in church growth circles. But the problem is that engaging the culture can mean different things to different people. Others say, just be relevant. But whose definition of relevant should we use? See, both suggestions, engaging the culture and being relevant, can be steps in the right direction, But without a clearer definition, they are both filled with danger. Some who have gone before us have failed at this task. The current culture here in North America is filled with churches that once preached with authority the gospel of Jesus Christ, but no longer do so. Why? Because they didn't capture the culture. The culture captured them. Now, the Apostle Paul lived in faithless times, not unlike our own, and yet he remained faithful. His approach was to connect with people and the culture, and he has given us a pattern that we can imitate. We might ask, how did he endure with such effectiveness? And the answer is, he began by by conforming himself to Jesus Christ. Listen to his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul presented himself uh, as an example from which we can learn because Christ was his example to follow. Now, Paul was an interesting messenger of the gospel. He was part theologian. He was part businessman. He was part philosopher. But using all the gifts and talents that God gave him, he walked right into the Greek culture in order to engage it. He never considered ignoring it or avoiding it. Rather, he engaged with meaningful dialogue 
on the home field of those he attempted to influence with the good news. His conversation began this way. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. See, by understanding Paul in this story, I believe that we can learn from his example how to engage our culture and our community today. Staying faithful when there is so much faithlessness all around us. Let me offer three lessons that emerge from this story. And the first one is this. To engage the culture, we must discern the times. What we know about Paul is that he engaged people in the community where he found himself. Listen to Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Our cities and our towns in the 21st century are still filled with idols. All around us are the idols of money or power or sports or knowledge. The great reformer John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idol factory. And idols take the space that belongs to Christ alone. See, each community produces its own idols. Part of our understanding of the culture in which we live is understanding the unique idols of today. The Greeks looked at Paul with, with, as a pseudo-intellectual, but he pressed forward undaunted. In verse 23, he says, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. See, Paul was aware of their philosophies and their worldview and their religious beliefs, and he demonstrated to them that he wanted to know more. His passion for engaging the culture showed that his heart was grieved by its idols. And he was aware of the religious and spiritual questions with which the people of Athens were struggling. But unlike many of us who don't feel that it's our place to engage the idols and the issues of our day, that somehow we're imposing religion on others or being judgmental, Paul gave a, a, a bold message that pointed people to the Savior. He did whatever he needed to do to communicate the message of Jesus Christ and do it well. And we are called to do the same, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that not only changes people's lives, but it changes everything. Paul moved his hearers from where they were to an understanding of the cross and of the empty tomb. Being relevant to the culture is merely the tool. Proclaiming Christ is the goal. To many churches today, uh, 
Too many churches today pursue cultural relevance as the goal, and separating ourselves from the culture around us is not possible, although some Christians seem to try. Culture is the pond that we swim in and the lens through which we see the world. Culture is the context in which we proclaim a biblically faithful, never-changing gospel. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the standard pickup lines used by evangelical Christians for decades as an opener for sharing Jesus goes something like this. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? But Ed Stetzer at Lifeway Research found out in a poll of about 1,200 people that less than 20% responded that they thought about that question with any regularity. It wasn't the highest concern on their radar. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? But he said that there was another question, how can I find more meaning and more purpose for my life? that scored higher. More than one in three indicated that they wondered about that question every day. The reality is that people are asking all kinds of questions in today's culture, and the gospel has answers to those questions, and they are found in the love and life of Jesus Christ. But we have to be willing to engage the culture around us, as Paul did, adjusting to the differences in people, but always bringing them back to the good news of God's redeeming love. Often we in the church are guilty of thinking, well, if people would just come to church and think the way we think and act the way we act and dress the way we dress and vote the way we vote, they would come to know Jesus. It's unfortunate, but many congregations simply busy themselves with holier-than-thou criticism of the unchurched rather than just telling them about how Jesus can make a difference in their life. Maybe more of us ought to be hearing the criticism that was leveled at Jesus. You hang out with sinners. You're too close to the wrong kinds of people. See, Jesus always made it a point to connect with those who needed him the most. I wonder how often we do that. So it's important to engage the culture and in the process to discern the times, but to do that we need to con connect with the people who need us most. Secondly, to engage the culture we must understand the time in which we live. Every generation and every culture has influential voices that people listen to. See, Paul understood which voices were affecting the lives of the people in Athens. Listen to what he says in verses 18 and 19. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with, with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. And then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. Paul preached a simple message. He said, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm here to tell you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He is, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, 
He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Here's what he's saying. What you worship in ignorance, I'm here to tell you this God is real. And he has a name. He is your creator. People that we rub shoulders with might not quote Greek philosophers that much, but people sure are quoting Oprah a lot. Have you noticed that? And if not Oprah, it's some rap singer or a politician or a celebrity. And it has deeply affected American religious faith in this way. Many, many people now have a worldview that says truth is relative. Truth is whatever you think it is. And the goal of spirituality is simply to be happy and to have personal peace. That's it. The world around us, in case you haven't noticed, is not filled with people who are aware that they are spiritually dead or looking for Jesus. Today people think they are spiritually alive and they're finding their own path to God. And they believe that God is just fine with whatever they wish to live because, uh, however they wish to live because the only thing they know is that Jesus said, don't judge so that you won't be judged. And yet the command of Jesus still stands to proclaim the gospel in our own time. It's not merely to convert the thought pattern of our peers. It is to see lives changed. And we better learn to communicate clearly and understand the times in which we live. Preaching against all the bad things in our society is easy. And preaching against the culture has become a regular occurrence in many churches, but that's not the answer. Preaching against the culture is preaching against where people like you and I live. And culture is not all bad. There's good in our society as well. What makes so more sense is to preach the Bible and to talk about what's in the book and invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have to buy into everything in the culture, but we do have to live in it. So the challenge is to tell others about the hope that we have found in Jesus without being sucked into the idols and the ways of the culture around us. There is a difference between adapting to the culture and adapting uh, the ways of the culture. Let me give you an example. Over the last 20 years or so, musical styles in worship have been a tough issue in many churches. Worship wars have resulted over what people think is Christian music. The same could be said of styles of dress or arguments of liturgical or non-liturgical services or the priority of outreach versus taking care of the members, and that list just keeps going. And if we're going to engage in an, an, an increasingly faithless culture around us, we're going to have to learn what is core for us. And core for us is the ministry of the kingdom and what we should hold loosely, and that is the issues that don't matter a great deal in the grand scheme of things. See, the reality is that we're not all going to agree on what kind of music to sing or whether or not uh, to say the Lord's Prayer every week, but we can agree 
on preaching and proclaiming and believing the same gospel, the good news of Jesus. Over the past 10 years or so, I've done a lot of coaching and consulting in churches all over the state. And I've worked with scores of congregations and pastors in all kinds of situations. And one of the things that I've seen a lot is the real issue is that some people in churches like to control things. They want to do battle over every little issue. <clears throat> they prefer to do things the way they remember them or are comfortable with and want to drag everyone else into that culture. They're not defending the faith. They're protecting their own preferences. So many congregations today don't have a financial problem or a space problem or a lack of young people problem. They have a spiritual problem. They've forgotten why they exist. But third, to gauge the culture today, we must preach Christ. Paul not only demonstrated a clear understanding of those he was trying to reach, but more importantly, he knew what to preach. <clears throat> His pattern was to preach Christ repeatedly. Notice that Paul built a bridge from something that was familiar to his audience in Athens, the altar to the unknown God, to someone who was familiar to him, and that was Jesus. And it was his intention that in revealing the identity of God, the God previously unknown to the people of Athens, he could help them to find Christ. Likewise, if we're only building a bridge to the culture so that people can find our church, then we will surely fail because our goal will become the crowd. The goal of the gospel is always more disciples for Jesus Christ, not more members on the church rolls. Paul found an altar to an unknown God in Athens and confronted their ignorance and their worship. And he understood what a barrier this unknown God was to the people of Athens being able to find Jesus. And so he resisted the temptation to let, go, to let the fear of offending this these new friends stop him from proclaiming the truth. Paul proclaimed, this God whom you worship without knowing, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. See, even Paul used the words of these... Uh, of, of, of their own poets to build that bridge. In verse 28, he says, For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He takes what is familiar to them and leads them to what is familiar to him, and that's the message of Jesus. Listen to verses 30 and 31. God overlooked people's ignorance about those things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who, uh, who this is by raising him from the dead. In another significant study several years ago of unchurched people, Lifeway Research uh, found a couple of findings that bear mentioning. 79% of those who responded said they thought Christianity was more about organized religion 
than it was about loving God and loving people. 79%. 72% in this study said the church is full of hypocrites and people who do uh, one thing but say another. And maybe the most significant finding, 44% of the unchurched who were surveyed said Christians got on their nerves. Not exactly a message we want to brag about in churches. Here's what the Bible tells us. Keep trying to point people to Jesus. That's the essence of the Great Commission. But just know that there is always going to be the stumbling block of the cross. It's always going to be hard for people to understand that God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. But the good news in LifeWay's survey was that 90% of the unchurched who responded said that they had a close friend who considers themselves to be a Christian. So ultimately, we have an opportunity and we have a faith that by nature needs to be shared. We don't need to be afraid. We just have to stand for what we believe and then proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Let people hear the message and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. The big challenge in all of this is that a whole lot of people in our culture today are tripping over the stumbling block of Christian people like us before they ever get to the stumbling block of the cross. And the bottom line, too many churches and too many believers love their church culture more than they love their Christ and his mission to reach those who are lost. And if we follow the example of the Apostle Paul and the way that he followed Christ, we will care for people in the culture around us and exist outside of this or any church. See, the gospel hasn't changed. Our mission hasn't changed. We are to be calling people into a relationship with the one who can give them hope and purpose. But if we're going to make it through these faithless times and be faithful to Christ, we're going to have to leave someplace where we can feel very comfortable and go and tell, not just wait for the people to come to us, we're going to have to take the gospel message. And if that means reshaping some of the ways we preach and lead the church, so be it. If that means using our resources in new and creative ways, so be it. If it means challenging our congregation to give abundantly to what, of what God has given to us so that we can build a biblically faithful church, we're going to do that. We live in a world where so many people are unaware of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer to, for, for being faithful in faithless times is to take the unchanging message of Jesus and build bridges. Start conversations. Engage in relationships with people who are far from God. Now notice the last couple of verses here in Acts 17. This is verses 32 uh, through 34. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Here's what I keep learning and I try passing on to other pastors. Ministry must be less about us and more about Jesus all the time. It must be more about the kingdom, more about Christ's mission. 
Sure, Paul, uh, like Paul, we live in an often hostile and confused culture. But we have the greatest news that the world has ever known. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Did you realize that the demographic center of Christianity has already shifted? It is no longer to be found in Western Europe or even in North America. The fastest growing populations of Christians are to be found in Asia, in Latin America, and Africa. And the rising urban churches of China may be particularly influential in the future. The great mission field for the preaching of the gospel is no longer in some far-off place. It's right here in the United States and in Europe. And many nations that were once objects of our missionary endeavors are now sending missionaries to evangelize us. The church today is facing many challenges related to faithful living in faithless times. We really don't have time for pettiness in the church, but the need, uh, or for putting our own needs above the needs of the culture around us. But the big questions are: Are we willing to confront the idols that we see in today's culture? Are we committed to conforming our lives to the life of Christ? Are we committed to? engage the culture in a way that will build a bridge between the secular values that we see lived out all around us and the life-changing message of Jesus. We have the greatest news the world has ever known. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Let's pray. We have heard your word, Lord, not not just doing our religious duty but because we want to prepare ourselves to live faithfully as you intend. We want to witness to our faith with honest speech and with loving deeds. So teach us how to confront the values of our culture with boldness, how not to be captured by them, but to be a witness to the life-changing message of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Let me share just a couple of uh, announcements with us before our closing song this morning. Um, Last Sunday was our commitment Sunday when we asked our members and friends to uh, make a pledge commitment, a faith commitment to this church's ministry in the coming year. We do this uh, from June 1st to May 31st uh, is our fiscal year. And if you um, uh, did that last week, thank you so much. If you still uh, would like to do that, there's time to to get one of those in. If you don't have a commitment card, just call the church office and we'll be happy to to get one to you. I uh, I was gone for a few days this week and Marie uh, texted me that we had some helpers uh, show up this week and do some weed pooling and other yard jobs around the church and it looks beautiful this morning so thank you to those who stepped in and did uh, some things this week Uh, thank you for caring for this facility and this church uh, and it's noticed uh, especially right where we are in the center of town it gets noticed so thank you so much for giving those extra uh, hours this week also know that there have been a couple of deaths related to folks in our church community and church family uh, this week, so be praying for each other. It's always uh, a hard times uh, 
to lose uh, family members and friends of this congregation. So be in prayer for one another. And those obituaries are available at the uh, former Keck Coleman website, uh, a funeral home here right in town. We're going to close our worship this morning uh, with the hymn, Oh How I Love Jesus. So if you're able to stand, feel free to do that, and and, uh, we'll sing together.